Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obelt. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. Today is Sunday, February 26, 2023, and Linnea has the day off. It's been 367 days since Russia escalated its war against Ukraine, and it has been nine years to the day since Russian forces illegally occupied the Crimea Peninsula. Today's podcast will highlight the 10 biggest failures of the Russian Ministry of Defense during the first year of the expanded war against Ukraine. Our analyst team came up with more than 10 and picked the final 10 based on strategic importance, impact to Ukrainian morale, the impact on the perception of Russian military power, and the desire to highlight some battles that don't get talked about enough. Our subscribers on Patreon voted for today's ranking, and we asked them to provide some honorable, or would that be dishonorable, mentions. With that, here is our countdown of the 10 biggest failures of the Russian Ministry of Defense in their first year of expanded war in Ukraine. Number 10. Drone Attacks on Engels Air Base in Russia On December 5, 2022, the skies lit up around Engels Air Base on the banks of the Volga River, about 480 kilometers from the Ukrainian border. A second explosion rocked Diagelevea Air Base, 174 kilometers from the Kremlin. When the sun rose, two Russian Tu-95 strategic bombers and one Tu-160 bomber were damaged, and Russia's air defense capabilities had been laid bare. On December 26th, there was a second drone attack on Engels, and in the aftermath, Russia withdrew its strategic bombers from the base and moved them to Murmansk. Ukraine developed a still-unknown kamikaze drone with a range of at least 550 to 600 kilometers that was able to fly through almost 500 kilometers of Russian airspace. Number 9. The Battle for Vaznesensk on March 2nd, as Russian forces continued to advance on Mykolaiv, a battalion of elite Russian forces broke off and started rushing 120 kilometers north towards Vaznesensk. Russian forces had two mission objectives, secure the bridge over the South Bar River and capture the South Ukraine nuclear power plant. The only thing between the Russian forces and their objectives was a handful of Ukrainian territorial guards and local farmers. Local residents hastily built fortifications, took a crash course in operating machine guns and anti-tank weapons, and blocked the road to the power plant. On March 3rd, Russian forces attacked, sacking the village of Rakova on the way. When the smoke settled, up to 15 Russian tanks were destroyed, and the Russian group was forced to retreat 65 kilometers back to Rakova. Russian troops made a second attempt 
attempt on March 12th and 13th, but were met with a stronger group of Ukrainian troops. 14 civilians were killed, including some non-combatants in Rakova, when retreating Russian forces ransacked the village. Ukrainian troops blew up the bridge over the South Bar. The power plant was never captured, and in the retreat, Russian forces abandoned 15 more tanks, and they were defeated mostly by a group of farmers. Number 8. The Battle for the Neveleske Firebase On August 8th, during the second major offensive by the forces of the Donetsk People's Republic to capture Evdivka, a small Ukrainian forward operating base in Neveleske came under attack. You'll have a hard time finding Neveleske on any map. It's a speck surrounded by beet fields. But from Neveleske, Ukrainian forces were able to maintain a supply line to Piske and Pervomyske and keep the fields south of the E-50 ring road under fire control. Since August 8th, Russian ground forces have attacked Neveleske almost daily, and sometimes several times a day. Hundreds of troops have been killed and wounded, dozens of tanks and infantry fighting vehicles destroyed, and the only thing to show for all of this effort is a couple of tree lines, trenches, and cratered beet fields. Pisky got all the headlines, but Neveleske is a story that we hope one day gets told in its entirety. Number 7. The Russian Retreat from Kherson It is widely believed that when Russian General Surovikin was named the new commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine on October 8, 2022, he cut a deal, set conditions to pull Russian forces from the west bank of the Dnipro, leave Kherson, and transfer the troops to offensive efforts elsewhere. Ukraine had spent months destroying Russian air defenses, logistics centers, and critical supply lines. While Russian forces improvised ways to cross the Dnipro using ferries, helicopters, even creating a gravel bridge at the Novokathkova Dam, the flow of material was only meeting about 30% of needs. Up to 30,000 Russian troops were in a technical encirclement, and they were getting slowly pushed back. They were facing food, fuel, and ammunition shortages just as winter was approaching. On November 8th, rumors started to fly that Russia was withdrawing from the west side of the Dnipro. On November 11, the word on the street was there were no more Russian troops in Kherson. And in the early morning of November 12, a spontaneous celebration broke out while CNN showed the liberation live. Inexplicably, General Surovikin didn't concentrate his new reserves of an estimated 25,000 troops into one operational area. For example, Evdivka or Bakhmut or Kremina. Instead, he spread the available units out along the entire axis, from Zafrogia to Luhansk. The Russian retreat across the Dnipro freed up thousands of Ukrainian troops, ended almost all missile attacks on the city of Mykolaiv, and removed the fear of a Russian attack towards Odessa and possibly all the way to Moldova. Surovikin couldn't deliver a New Year's victory anywhere in Ukraine and was demoted on January 11, 2023. It is highly unlikely that Russian forces will find themselves on the attack west of the Dnipro again. Number 6 the failed Russian offensive at Vuladar. Located in southwest Donetsk, Vuladar is a five-square-kilometer town of apartment towers rising up from the Ukraine steppe. The town only exists due to a rich coal mine just to its east. 
Russia wants Volodar so badly because of the railroad line from the coal mine. Despite establishing a land bridge from Crimea in May 2022, railroad tracks that would aid Russian logistics remain dangerously close to the line of conflict. Capturing Volodar would change that. Russia started to try to set conditions for the Volodar offensive starting on October 28th, when the 155th and 40th Naval Infantry attacked Pavlovika. They were supported by the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic. 17 days later, Russian forces only controlled the area south of the Kashklahash River, and the northern part of Pavlika was a no-man's land. Worse, the 155th and 40th Naval Infantry were combat-destroyed, with members of the 155th refusing to continue to fight. The 155th and 40th were two of the last remaining combat-ready elite units left in the Russian military, and were forced to reconstitute using Mobics from the second wave of deployment, who received up to eight weeks of training. On January 24, 2023, a large-scale attack was launched on Volodar itself. On January 27th, Russian troops, supported by the 11th Brigade of the 1st Army Corps, reached the southeastern edge of the city, but had their advance cut off by Ukrainian artillery and lacked the combat power to hold their positions, and it all went downhill from there. Over the span of a month, pictures and videos confirm that over 100 Russian tanks and infantry fighting vehicles have been destroyed or abandoned. Multiple videos showed Russian armored vehicles blundering into minefields, being abandoned by their crews, clustering together when coming under artillery fire, and in one case, running over their own troops. The 155th and 40th Naval Infantry Brigades are combat destroyed again, along with the 11th Brigade of the 1st Army Corps, which had their headquarters destroyed in a HIMARS attack. On February 19th, a drone video showed a platoon of Russian troops attacking the Dachas north of the Kashlakash River with no artillery or armor support, and some of the Russian soldiers appear to be completely unarmed. The failure at Volodar revealed that the additional training of Russian Mobics didn't make any difference in their fighting ability. The loss of over 100 armored vehicles happened at a time when Russia is struggling to provide enough armor support for their troops fighting in Ukraine. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. We're halfway through our countdown to number five, the Crimean Bridge bombing. While no one has officially claimed responsibility for the October 8th explosion, Ukrainian involvement is highly suspected. Construction on the bridge, which connects Russian-occupied Crimea to the Russian mainland, started in February 2016. The span is technically three bridges, two two-lane highways, and one railroad bridge with two sets of tracks. Construction was completed in June of 2020. On October 8th at 6.05 in the morning local time, train operators received an error message from the railroad tracks. A truck late with explosives had blown up about one-third of the way across the bridge. The force of the blast collapsed four sections of the highway section and severely damaged the adjacent lanes. At the site of the explosion, a train hauling fuel was right next to where the truck exploded. Seven cars were set on fire and two experienced blevies, while the rest burned out of control, damaging the concrete and steel structure. 
Russian General Surovikin, commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, was only on the first day of his job. The Russian government and state media tried to brush off the damage as minor and inched a train across the damaged tracks as a public relations stunt. Cars and buses were allowed to cross a single lane of the roadway bridge that hadn't collapsed. From October 8th to February 23rd, only 16 light trains, that's the language the Kremlin used, have crossed the bridge. Most of those have been involved with the recovery of the damaged train from the explosion or the ongoing repair efforts. The second set of highway lanes was symbolically reopened on February 23rd, 2023, but they were ordered closed a day later by the Russian Ministry of Emergency Situations. The railroad section isn't expected to be repaired until the summer of 2023. The destruction of the bridge snarled Russian logistics, which is heavily dependent on railroads, isolated the Crimea Peninsula, and served as a major psychological blow to the Russian population. Military equipment and supplies must now be moved by road, forcing Russia to turn occupied Mariupol into a logistics hub and making the land bridge to Crimea even more vulnerable. Number four, sinking of the guided missile cruiser Moskva. The Moskva was the Black Sea Fleet flagship. The fleet's reputation was already bruised after Ukraine became the first military in history to sink a warship using a short-range ballistic missile, destroying the large landing ship Saratov on March 24. On April 13th at approximately 1,900 hours local time, the Moskva was positioned about 150 kilometers south of Odessa. Two Ukrainian-developed Neptune anti-ship missiles struck the cruiser, setting it ablaze. And several hours later, the Moskva rolled on its side and sank. The Moskva was the same ship that Ukrainian troops on Snake Island told to go f*** yourself. And Ukrainians were reeling from the horror of the discovery of the war crimes around Kyiv and relentless caliber missile attacks. This was a strategic, psychological, and moral victory. When the Moskva sank, the Black Sea Fleet and the Russian garrison on Snake Island lost their protection from air attacks. The missile attacks on Ukraine didn't stop, but the Black Sea Fleet had to pull further south out of the range of Neptune missiles. This provided Ukraine Ukrainian air defenses, more time to intercept incoming cruise missiles, and more warning for Ukrainian civilians. And two and a half months later, Russian troops were forced off of Snake Island at what Russia called a goodwill gesture. Number three, the failed wet crossing of the Seversky Donetsk River at Bilohorivka. On May 8th, Russian forces completed bombing of Papasna to rubble, forcing Ukrainian troops to withdraw. It was one half of the pincer meant to surround up to 20,000 Ukrainian troops defending Severodonetsk and Lyshansk. The second part was supposed to come from Bilohorivka. But to get to Bilohorivka, Russian forces would have to cross the Seversky Donetsk River in a contested river crossing, which is one of the hardest military maneuvers that you can make, and everything went wrong. A few days later, near Sarbranske, there was another failed attempt. In the span of 72 hours, 83 tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, trucks, and engineering vehicles were destroyed, and over 500 Russian troops were dead. Among the casualties were some of the most experienced combat engineers in the Russian military, including a senior officer who had been fighting in the Donbass since 2014. The failure of the wet crossing at Bilohorivka ultimately led to the Pyrrhic victory at Severodonetsk, which left the Russian military in 
in Ukraine combat ineffective. It bought critical time for Ukraine to prepare its first counteroffensive. The attritional warfare strategy forced the Russian Ministry of Defense to withdraw units around Izum to reinforce the advance on Severodonetsk. The echoes from the failure at Bilohorivka continue to this day. The Russian need for partial mobilization, the Kharkiv counteroffensive, and Russia's shortage, relatively speaking, of artillery ammunition can be partially traced back one way or another to the failed wet crossing at Bilohorivka. Number two, the Kharkiv counteroffensive. It was the most decisive armored victory since 1991 and the type of advance many military leaders said would never happen again after Desert Storm in Iraq. In the span of nine days, Ukrainian forces liberated over 500 cities, towns, and villages spread across more than 11,000 square kilometers of territory and forced Russian troops to the east bank of the Ozkiel River. Setting conditions for the counteroffensive started in May 2022 when Ukraine received its first NATO-provided M777-155 millimeter howitzers, and they put them to use harassing Russian supply lines. Starting in June, Ukrainian special operation forces and DRG units were attacking Russian troops in the forests west of Azum. The situation was so bad that Russian forces started calling the region Sherwood Forest, and they were playing the role of the Sheriff of Nottingham. By mid-August, the situation for Russian troops in eastern Kharkiv was becoming critical. The supply lines west of the Askil were almost unusable, and Russian units that were drawn down to fight in several Donetsk were combat destroyed and rotated out of Ukraine. Ammunition was running low due to the endless supply interdiction, and Ukrainian forces were pushing the line of conflict closer and closer to Izum. Russian positions in the city were shelled on August 18th, and over the next 10 days, Russian forces launched a weak and localized counteroffensive south of Azum, exhausting what little combat strength they had left. On September 6th, Ukraine launched a surprise attack across a broad front involving up to 50,000 troops of mechanized infantry and tanks supported by a second and third echelon of reserves, artillery, and air defense. On the first day, Ukrainian forces had moved more than 20 kilometers. Russian military leaders ordered the Air Force to provide close air support to try and slow the Ukrainian advance. Russian pilots mistook retreating Russian units as advancing Ukrainian forces, causing multiple friendly fire incidents. And over the next 48 hours, Russia would lose at least 10 aircraft to Ukrainian air defenses. On September 13th, just eight days after the surprise attack started, Ukrainian forces had advanced 90 kilometers in some places, and there were no more Russian troops west of the Oskiel River. It was a stunning route. Before we revealed the number one pick of our countdown of the 10 biggest failures of the Russian Ministry of Defense in the first year of the war in Ukraine, here are some honorable, or would those be dishonorable, mentions from our subscribers. The first one, the Russian mobilization effort and the problems of training, equipping, paying, and supplying 218,000 forced conscripts. After five months since the first Mobiks arrived in Ukraine, they've only served to stabilize Russian defensive lines and have not dramatically changed the battlefield. The next one that came up was operational security, or the complete lack of Russian operational security. There have been countless attacks on Russian barracks, ammunition depots, command posts, logistics centers, repair bases, and even soldiers doing TikTok live streams. The first Russian general killed died because he used an unsecured landline phone and revealed his location. 
And the third one is the air war over Ukraine. After a year, Russia was unable to establish air superiority. Making the situation worse, the campaign to destroy Ukraine's energy infrastructure rallied the world to provide modern air defense systems, turning Ukraine into one of the most air defense-dense places on the planet. After a year of war, the tiny Ukrainian air force has held Russia to air parity. All right, we're to number one the failed Russian offensive on Kyiv. We didn't have this as our number one pick. It was in third place, but we won't argue that this belongs at the top. One year ago today was a pivotal moment. It is the day Ukrainian President Zelensky told the United States State Department, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. It is also the day the Russian Ministry of Defense announced they were not going to capture Chernihiv as part of the Kyiv offensive and would bypass the city. At that moment, I looked at the map and I personally thought, if the Russian supply line along the west bank of the Dnipro to Hostomel becomes a problem, Russia's plan isn't going to work. Russian commanders wanted to avoid the P-69 highway that goes from Chernihiv to Kyiv, instead choosing to create an overextended supply line from Sumy to the Kyiv suburbs. By March 15th, Russia's offensive had ground to a halt. On March 22nd, Ukraine launched the first of a series of counteroffensives east and west of Kyiv. A 60-kilometer-long convoy of Russian troops and equipment extending from Belarus to the outskirts of the city was being pulled apart by drone strikes, special forces units, and hit-and-run attacks. The contingent of up to 170,000 Russian troops was unprepared for weeks of fighting and lacked cold weather gear, food, fuel, and enough ammunition for a sustained attack. On March 27th, between 5,000 to 10,000 Russian troops were in a salient at Hostomel and were at risk of being encircled. And on the same day, Ukrainian forces liberated Irpin. On March 29th, the Russian Ministry of Defense declared that all objectives had been achieved around Kyiv and that their forces were withdrawing. On April 4th, the last organized Russian unit crossed the Ukraine-Belarus border. Ukraine had conducted its defense of Kyiv with little Western assistance, but more importantly, the illusion that Russia was the second most powerful military in the world had been shattered permanently. The NATO alliance which was forming significant cracks itself, was reinvigorated, and European nations became motivated to review their national defense plans and commitment to the alliance. Ukrainian President Zelensky was transformed from comedian to statesman, and the resolve of the Ukrainian people became an inspiration for people around the world. And that's it. That's our top 10. As put in order, by our patrons. My name is David Obelt. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. I'd like to thank you for listening today. Don't forget to go ahead and subscribe whichever platform that you're listening to so that you find out about our next podcast when it becomes available. And I always like to say at the end of these, especially with all of the terrible that is in the world, please be good to each other. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.